All right. So, uh, you know, here we are. We're on episode number 15 now. And, and one of the things as I was working out this morning that I was thinking was we're getting ready to do episode number 15 and you've been on holiday twice now and I haven't been on any holidays yet. And I know it is that holiday season right now. So lots of people are holiday, they're going away and, you know, holidays are being canceled and staycations and all these sort of things are going on. And I just got to thinking about, well, what are people, what are people, what are you guys doing on holiday? What's happening on these holidays? And why do people take holidays? Is it, um, you know, is it to take a break from your normal life? In quotation marks. Um, and if so, you know, the bigger question that I had was if every day was a holiday, how would your life be different? That's the question I'm asking you. That is a great question, and we will get to that. But I think to start talking about holidays, we almost need to reflect and unblit it back. And, and yeah, but you've been to... on holiday. What did you do on your holiday? Well, I'm not quite ready to talk about that yet because what I want to explain is obviously you said I've been on holiday twice yeah. since. So we've just been doing just this in general, in why, why do you take episodes? Holidays? Why do I take holidays? Yeah. So I take holidays to allow me to have a, a, a pit stop, really. There's there's a couple of reasons why I would have that pit stop. Um, actually, so I, I mean, I, I live in the area, well, I think we both live in the area, but I live particularly close to Silverstone. Um, so I live in the area where there's a lot of motor racing going on and there are indeed pit stops, as we know, that go on, on races. And a pit stop happens to kind of to tune up the car, to make sure that the car is running effectively. You know, it's got the tyres on. It, it might have a new race, uh, a new driver, if that's the case. Um, and for me, that's what a pit stop is. It gives me time to step back from the everyday hustle and bustle and to reflect on, and this might be conscious or it might be subconscious, but to reflect on, what am I, how am I spending my life at the moment? Is it working for me? That sounds um, like a lot of working for me. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like more work than holiday. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes yeah. it isn't. And this is why I want to, to look back rather than kind of diving into what I've just done, which is kind of, and, and obviously it's funny you said about going on holiday. We didn't, we were at home for both of the holidays because of, of, you know, lockdown and, and coronavirus. So you were just so, taking a, a break. Essentially. Yeah. And, and there is a big difference between a break and a holiday. And in fact, I remember when my best friends had a baby and they were the first ones out of all of us to have a baby. And um, my friend Nigel said to me, Naomi, you will never go on a holiday again. Everything just becomes a trip. And we kind of knew what he meant, but we really didn't understand it until... We had our own children. And it is, it kind of, it takes as much effort sometimes to go on holiday with your children um, as it does to actually not have a holiday at all and just live your day-to-day -day life. So then, so, so I'm, I guess that's what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get a picture of what, so what's an ideal holiday? So I get that because I've had kids and we've done that. I don't think I would agree that you'll never have another holiday again when you have kids. Your, your kids are much older. Yeah, I mean, but even when when they were little, I mean, we've, you know, like I said, I used to take, and we had, I mean, I've been through that process of going on to holidays where yeah. you know, there's a lot more work involved 
But I think, again, it's the question of, well, what are you taking the holiday for? Is it to get away to see something different than you normally see? Is it to relax? Is it to, you know, like, you know, we used to do to have a holiday together as a family. Then I would have my own holiday in quotation marks. Um, and then Ruth would do the same. So we split it up because for me, like some people like a holiday and they want to go on the beach and they just want to relax. For me, it was, you know, I'm happy to do that for like a couple of days, but I needed to go on an expedition or climb a mountain or do that um, El Camino. Um, so I needed active. It was an opportunity for me to go mm. out um, and explore something I've never seen before. And ostensibly it is for, you know, if I'm thinking about, well, why do you do a holiday? Is so I can take a break from work and thinking about earning money. Um, and so, you know, while I'm climbing the mountain, unless that I'm a mountain guide, then, you know, I'm not earning any cash. So, uh, and then I would suspect even if I was a mountain guide, I would probably want a holiday from having to work. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what, you know. And so, yeah, so um, when, even when our kids were, you know, tiny and it was more work to do, um, we were still taking holidays and the mindset was just different and because I, we wouldn't have to be juggling. We could actually focus on the kids and, you know, then doing the nappies and all that other kind of stuff uh, wasn't as tense because it wasn't, we weren't fighting time. Absolutely. So I, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. You weren't fighting time. And and that is the, the key thing for for me anyway, for holiday. And I think everything that you said is relevant. For some people, it's about going and having an active holiday. For some people, it's about exploring. For some people, it's sitting by a beach. For some people, it's just doing nothing. It's waking up in the morning and deciding what you want to do that day instead of having the whole week planned out. For other people, it is about having the whole week planned out. And I don't think that, well, certainly I, I can't speak, obviously, for everybody, but I know for me, it's not about having the same type of holiday year in, year out. Um, but well, I know some people like that. I know some people where they go to the same time of year, same place every year. If that works for them, that's yeah, yeah. brilliant. If that gives them that framework or foundation, that's fantastic. Um, and there are times in my life when that's what I have needed. But, yeah, so, so for the moment, for this year we kind of did something which was, you know, what many people would call staycation. Um, so we stayed at home. We were home-based. We went to eat out when we wanted to eat out. Um, there was a couple of restaurants that we particularly wanted to go to. So we did that. We went to a fabulous little Lego exhibition um, at Banbury Museum, which was just such fun. And it was short enough for the kids' attention, plus it was Lego, so that helped. Um, yeah, I've seen some of your was, pictures on Twitter. Your Lego yeah, things. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought you'd appreciate that. I didn't manage to get them on any other platform but Twitter, and I thought, okay, I'll see these. Um, but it was great because it was enough to feel that we'd done something cultural, but it wasn't heavy. But and here, that and this is this is what that we wouldn't have had otherwise. This is what drives. This is what drove this question for me about. So why is it that you have to take a I'm not saying you specifically, but the reason that the question came up is why do we have to wait to holiday 
to do those kinds of things. You know, when you finish a holiday, people come back, oh, I had such a great time and you loved holiday and there's such memorable things. And it's like, why can't your whole of your life be memorable like that? Why do you have maybe, to? Okay, so maybe the whole of your life is memorable. And my life's changed quite a lot in the last kind of couple of years so that I love being on holiday and I love not being on holiday so in my regular routine as well but I like to have the blend so I'm not looking at any one day or one week or one month as a a standalone thing I'm looking at my life as a maybe as a year or as a quarter or whatever you want to say and go okay what's the balance going on here so I like having regular things you know if you think about it you need to eat meals regularly and maybe not it's the whole breakfast lunch and dinner and two snacks But I notice that when I feed my children like that, they concentrate better. They get more fulfillment out of what they do. And the same goes for me as well. So it's like that with how we live our life on a day-to-day basis. So is it about routine then? I I can can see you're itching for a question here. Well, um, because you're, I mean, you're, well, because. So I know we've done a thing about, well, maybe we did it. I think I'm getting you mixed up with someone else. But we're talking about. You're a woman, yeah. No, no, it was a do this time, but it was about time. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> because you've just said about, um, in fact, it's, uh, it was, yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, you'll, you'll see that episode shortly. But um, the breakfast, lunch, dinner, and this comes back to some of our spiritual stuff. So, from a Zen point of view, you know, we've just created a false construct and you eat at these certain times and now you're driven by that. Now you're a slave to that bit. Time. Um, was driven out of the sort of industrial kind of revolution yeah. piece and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And so to get into that rhythm, you're out of sync with self. But I get why people do it, because it gives routine, keeps you in line with the schools, keep you in line with the factories. So if you were looking for total freedom and want to break that model of being, then you would exact the sort of Zen thing, which is this enlightenment thing, you eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired, and but yes. from from a Zen point of view, the moment you have to formulate the thought, you create duality, and it's the duality that you're trying to end. So, uh, yeah, I and I totally agree with that. Um, what I have found, and working with many of my clients, and I have seen it time and time again, is about using the framework of the world that we live in to get yourself a kind of an even keel, uh, an even platform, if you like. From that, when you start to see that duality, you consciously become aware of it. You consciously start to play with it. And then by moving through that, then you can start to become aware of what are my actual needs in this moment? Um, but I do think that people who have become very accustomed, which is most of us, let's face it, who become very accustomed to the day-to-day life that we've got set up, I think it's very hard for them to go from that point to uh, actually, do I need to eat? What do I need to eat? I think I need to exercise now. Last night, I, I attended a, a, a meeting with my son, a, a virtual meeting, and because of the way my son behaved um I'm interesting I'm sorry I'm listening to what I'm saying as I'm saying anyway as after this meeting I could feel that I had this huge surge of energy and 
it was kind of nine o'clock at night and normally I kind of started to wind down to bed at that point but I wasn't my brain was very very clear and my body was kind of really needing to do something so the best thing I could have done also I didn't do this but the best thing I could have done would have been to kind of throw myself out the door and go for a really brisk walk Um, and I knew that but I didn't do it for a whole host of other reasons but three years ago I wouldn't have known that that was what the best thing to have done would have been but now I know and if it happens again tonight for example that's what I will do I'll get out the door and I'll use that energy for something productive yeah, well, that's interesting. And I think part of this uh, freedom thing or or becoming, knowing who you are again or, or listening to your body or being in tune with your body or being one with your body, it's it's at odds with what you've called, you know, the normal society and that rhythm. So the yeah. rhythm is to be like that. But that's, that's not how, it's how we're made to conform. Um, and if you, you know, um, you know, most of us do conform. Um, yeah, I, um, yeah, you know, there's a huge population of people that prefer to conform. But if you're, if you're wanting to, as they would say in the Matrix, wake up and break that mold to become into your full self and being, you have to challenge that. You have to break that cycle because regardless of whether you are conscious of it or not, it has a significant effect on you. Um, we talked about the self-university book that I've, I've been reading. Um, and, you know, if you really look at, and the Conscious Robots, another one we mentioned in the past, if you really look at all the programming, we had, that's some heavy programming. And I know people will be listening to this and say, yeah, but, yeah, but that's, the real world is this. And it's exactly, that's how deep the programming goes, is that we mm-hmm. think that that's the real world, uh, you've been conditioned for, you know, if you've gone through the school system, you've been conditioned for most of your life to behave in that way, uh, mm. which is where you want the majority. If I was a ruler and a politician and in power, that's what you want the majority of your people to be doing. Because how else do you control people? Yeah. How else are you going to keep them in line? How else well, am I going absolutely. to, to um, do that? Absolutely. But, and the hard so bit, I've the hard been, bit is breaking that, isn't it? The hard bit would be to break from that. And if you think of all your non-conventional people, your non-conformists, your free thinkers, um, they sit on the outskirts of the norm. Um, and it takes a certain kind of strength to be an outsider and being out there. Yeah, I've been listening to or watching quite a lot of um, Sir Ken Robinson. So I don't know if you know Sir Ken Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've only just come across him. I think I have come across him earlier in my life, uh, but I've only just come across him. Um, and sadly, of course, he died uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And he's been really making me think, because although he is talking about a lot of things that I've come across over the years, so, you know, kind of essentially doing what you love, um, he was obviously very committed to our education system, which is something that I am also passionate about is in not this the system that we have but but education and one of the things that I was listening to and he was you know exactly as you were just saying talking about how, how our education system has been created and it was created to fit in line with the factories and so on and so forth um 
But now we've got to a, a stage where we are just putting our children through, you know, the sausage making machine instead of celebrating the differences. And I, I think there was kind of a, a vague element of of somebody somewhere thinking about that by developing science academies and, and what have you. But truthfully, I think our education system, I think it's failing. I think it's failing our children and I think it's failing us as a society because we are now very much at the stage where we have a huge amount of knowledge and most people can access knowledge quickly. But what we are missing, and and I've talked about this before in my own personal view, is that, you know, I don't have critical thinking skills. I don't have an ability to analyse. I have a reaction which I can put down to my gut or my heart. And there may be some validity in that, but there isn't always. But see, and I would, I want I, I would challenge that. Skills. I don't think you could. Sorry, have, say that again. I said I would challenge that because I don't think you would have been able to raise a family and be sitting in that chair where you are if you didn't have critical thinking skills. Think of, I mean, if you really think what a critical thinking skills are, um, you were either very, very, very super lucky um, or you're not giving yourself credit for the fact that you have plenty of critical thinking skills. Because how could you exist? How could you have done what you've done with your kids, with everything else, if you didn't? So, and yes, maybe you're right. I mean, for example, this morning I had an engineer come round to service some of my son's um, equipment because he is deaf. And so as a result of that, you know, we are very lucky in that we have a special doorbell for him, a special alarm. um, And one of the, I'm not quite sure what it was, a battery pack or something needed to be pat tested to make sure it was still safe. And I say we are very lucky because this is the society in which we live. And whether or not people understand that, there are some fantastic frameworks out there. Um, And this engineer turned up. Now, when I had the call to say this needs to be done, I had no idea which piece of equipment they were talking about. But, you know, I've had my son for 17 years. I've been through a hell of a lot with him. Deafness, you know, was Mm. not present when he was born, but a lot of other things were. And so I I kind of, I'd I'd learned a lot. And to the point where this lady was trying to arrange this appointment, I have no idea what piece of equipment it's for, but I knew enough to say, yep, sure, get him to come because I know that between him and me, we'll work out which piece of equipment it is that he needs to pack test. The guy's an engineer. He's going to know what he's looking for kind of thing. So you're right. I'm sure I do have critical thinking skills. Yeah, because if you look at the definition of it. I want to stretch my brain further. I'm not quite sure how we've got to this bit, which is well, kind of well. But yeah, I think because you just said you didn't have any, and all the critical thinking skills. Well, no, is, I just I don't have conscious critical thinking skills. That's why. That's so what I'm it challenging. Hurts my brain to have to think. Okay, what decision should I make here? Right. Sometimes. So tell me what that. What do you mean by? And maybe that maybe we just have the wrong definition of critical skill or critical thinking. What do you mean by that? Uh, so. I think we'll probably do another episode on this, actually, because what I mean is that, you know, when I make a decision is being able to to, to analyse, is this kind of the right decision to make at this time and for what reasons? Because... Oh, 
you're but what I you've you we lost you for a second. Your audio just oh, completely cut okay. out. But yeah, so say that last bit again. <laughs> okay, sorry. So um I find it very easy to make decisions in the moment if I'm actually ready to do it, either that or I really don't. But ignoring that, so you know, what pen am I going to write with today? Am I going to write with a standard black biro or this pretty blue gel ink pen? And, you know, I can make that decision. I'm not dithering about that. And that can be even with some quite big things. If I'm buying a car, truthfully, I know that most cars these days are pretty safe. So I want something that I like the look of. You know, it's there's there's not a lot to it. But then further down the line, and, and those are, you know, wildly differing examples that I've given you. But, you know, further down the line, if I've made a decision about, uh, maybe a piece of work that I want to do, or I, I, I don't know, I can't think off yeah. the top of my head right now. Um, but so then I get to a point, I'm like, well, I'm bored of this, or don't know why I'm doing this, or, well, it hasn't really got me where I wanted it to get me. And that's because I haven't but here's the really th- assessed yeah. what I'm doing. I've just jumped in. Okay. And I'm going to say one of the things that, and why people are lauding these days about critical thinking skills is people just accept what other people tell them. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I don't, and think I don't about want it. to do that anymore. But I don't I'm think that you do that. that. My gut reaction yeah. to what somebody else tells me, great. But yeah. actually, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to make my own decisions. I want to think outside of the box. I'm so, going back to what you were saying. About so what you mean is you don't want to be lazy anymore. You want to just think. Because you can do it. Because you've just done it now. I mean, you know, critical thinking, all it means is, you know, if I just say, hey, just use that plumber, probably you'll go, you'll ask a whole bunch of different questions. You'll ask questions so you get reasonably confident or sure that that's right. Even if you're saying it's your gut and if you, and I know that you are, know the power of our sort of subconscious mind. You're not just making a gut decision. Um, your subconscious mind has enough stuff stored in it that knows that all the things that you need to feel safe and to be, and to um, helps you to make the decision a bit quicker. Mm. Um, so, I mean, because there's not much to critical thinking. You've got to, I think the biggest thing is about being objective, whereas a lot of people won't be objective. They'll just say, you know, you can either be a vegan because it's bad for the animals, but have they looked at yeah. both sides of the argument? No, I don't want to look at both sides of the argument because that side is wrong. So they're just thinking off of emotion and not thinking, okay, objectively here, what's what's this? What's that? What's because so the end result of critical thinking is to make a judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then some people just don't want to look at the other side. I don't want to entertain any other thought. So those people are not being objective. They're using the same skills, but you know, the thinking process, but they're not being objective about it, which is the critical part of critical thinking is being able to line up on both sides, pro and con. And then, you know, based off of your experience, based off of your values, based off of, you know, those sorts of things to make a judgment and you may be wrong. And so something, you know, absolutely. Think, which absolutely. is fine because we don't know everything. So, Going, going back to holiday now. Actually, part of uh, of that is relevant. So, th- th- when my children were younger, 
I would work through their holidays because I hadn't yet got comfortable with the fact that I, you know, that was my circumstance, if you like. Mm. And then when they were, I don't know, maybe sort of somewhere between seven and 10, I got to the point where actually I did take off the holidays. And it, it might be like, you know, for Easter, where there was two weeks, I might only take off one week, but I would properly focus on them in that time, as opposed to kind of fitting them around my work or my work fitting around them. And so this gets to the I, crux of my question that mm-hmm. I asked in the very, very beginning. How would you be different if every day was a holiday? So just listen well, to what you... Come, I would never be on social media. Well, I would never open my computer. Okay, well, that's fine. Because you I just said that I wouldn't phone. fit the world around my kids. So <laughs> yeah. again, you know, if oh, I were... you're saying that and I'm loving that idea. I'm sorry. I'm like, you know what? I'm almost going to shut this down now. Yeah, well, that's the, well, this is just it. It's like we... And this is that, the whole reason I was asking that question. Um, is exactly, you just illustrated it perfectly. So on holiday, I can give the kids more attention because I'm not distracted by all these other things and have to fit life around them. On holiday, I can just focus on them. So then the bigger question becomes, how do you adjust your life so that every day is a holiday? And if you want to spend, you know, 24 hours just focused on your kids, you can do. Um, uh, one of my sayings that I picked up that's always stayed with me from my army days is that about ranger school and um, survival. It was a 68-day survival school. And they, and they go, look, if you make it out of this, every day will be a holiday and every meal a feast. So mm-hmm. you'll appreciate, and essentially what you're saying, you'll appreciate every single day of your life um, and every meal, considering you haven't really, get, don't get to eat during the survival thing, You'll savor every meal as as a feast, um, but it, and that was almost about how being deprived. Once you get it back, you'll appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, this question I was asking about holiday was exactly that. We we get ourselves in the rat race, and we get ourselves into these habits of being um, inside of the home and doing that, and we're in these routines. Uh, that we don't think about anymore. We just, you know, we're just executing these routines and we look forward to holiday so that I can be myself in quotation marks. I can relax. I can pay more attention to my husband or the kids. I can read that book. You know, some people feel guilty um, if they read a book because I'm reading a book. That's 30 minutes, an hour out of my time. I don't have time. Um, that hour that I sat and read that book, forget the fact that it's edified my mind or it's taking entertained me. Um, I could have been doing something, and you said these words just a moment ago, more productive. And and that's the thing that I would challenge. That's the challenge. The challenge is, you know, you got these two separate lives. One, you would relish. Who wouldn't want to spend more time with their kids? Unless you hate your kids. Who would, you know, who would want to spend more time with their kids or their significant other or their, you know, but we have to go do these other things. Um, so I'm asking, and the reason I asked the question, if you didn't have to do all those other things, how would your life be different? And this is probably another way of saying, how would you, how would you design your ideal life? What would that look like? 
And is that a question you're asking? Yeah, that's a question I'm asking. To answer personally. To ask, I mean, however you want to answer it. Um, yeah, I, I mean. It would be great. Uh, so I, I agree with what you're saying, and you're right. I think many people have that kind of conundrum or that question in so much as actually is this how I want to spend every day for me it I'm very happy with the way I spend most of my days um, because I am comfortable with my life I'm comfortable with what I choose to do I'm comfortable with how I spend my time and I like having big chunks of time away from social media Um, I like having big chunks of time where I don't turn my computer on which I didn't when I was younger because when I was younger that was my link to the outside world that was what helped me feel that I was still somebody because I hadn't found my own identity now I don't care you know like (laughs) Obviously, we're recording a podcast. We want to get this out there. But actually, you know, if I never went on social media again, well, right now I wouldn't be bothered. But I do know that give it, you know, however long, two, three months or two, three years, I'd be kind of, oh, well, let's have a little dabble. And that's it, isn't it? You know, lots of people take breaks from social media. um, Which I never understand. Again, like Ruth is always on my back about taking you know, how come you always got to be on social media and blah, blah, blah. And it's well, yeah, because thing. you're focusing on something that's virtual. Well, even no. But discussing with people. Listen. It's not your actual physical life that's going on in front of you. But who was on the other side of the interactions on social media? Well, the people that people. you connect with. Yeah, people. Yeah, but they're it's, still it's not there. the same place. How, it's not the same. How can it look? You and I are having this conversation on Zoom which is a piece of media, the telephone's a piece of media, and we are relating to each other. I can't physically touch you. Yes, I can see you right now, but I can't touch you. You're not physically here, Mm -hmm. but I'm having every bit of uh, interesting, dynamic, thoughtful conversation with you right now. Okay, so if Ruth was to walk into your room... And want to have a conversation with you at the same time that we're having this conversation. What would happen? How would that go? How would you deal with that if some if you were in the living room and somebody came in and interrupted your conversation? But I suspect if you turn that right round and on its head, that would be how Ruth is feeling. Well, so she's if, right if, there no, in the living room, she, and you've been interrupted, or you're interrupting yourself by going on social media and having a conversation. Well, no, with no, 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 no. Let's keep this thing. So we're talking. Someone yeah. comes into the room. Now, so, you know, you know, conventionally, it would be rude for her to interrupt our conversation. At some point, I should acknowledge her. But that's it. If, if we were in the living room and she walked into the living room, same thing. Would she interrupt? As in, I'll just butt in and talk. Because she could do that. She can come in right now and just butt in. And then, you know, personally, I don't mind that people butt in. So for me, it'd be cool. As long as she's happy to be on the podcast, fine. Um, <laughs> if she came in a living room and interrupted, I don't mind. Some people get offended or feel like, okay, well, that's disrespecting me because you just butted into a conversation I'm having with another person. Regardless of whether it's on the phone, regardless of if it's in person, the human dynamic is exactly the same. I think people look at now you know look at social media and they've divorced the fact that actually 
And, and some people, and this is why, here's where some of the toxic bit of social media comes from. And, and I get this, like, um, some of the things that people say on social media, um, would they say it to your face, mm-hmm. you know, look you in the eye and say it. And so mm-hmm. what they've missed, what they've done is dehumanize the process. Oh, I'm just on Twitter. Um, and so I for- can say what I yeah. really think. But yeah. they forget that they're talking to another human being. And that's a whole other thing altogether. And the more that we separate the fact that it's social media, uh, no, actually, you are, other human beings are on the other end of that. So how would you treat them in person? You know, you treat people the same way on social media as you would treat them in person. It's another human being, regardless of what's in between you, phone, Mm. media if i'm standing out on the road talking to you you know again it's the same thing so yeah you know when you know when bruce is like oh why are you always on your phone well you know i got friends so you know i talk to you know my friends Um, i got some people that i might not know but we have some kind of relationship so i'm happy to to talk to them um i think there's kind of two points here i think one is the point in terms of it is a way of you keeping in touch with other people. I think you're right. I think people forget that there are people on the end of social media. And um, and I do think that people who use social media a lot are, I mean, there's, there's a variety of, and I'm, I'm doing a, a massive generalisation here, but they are using that because they want to be part of something. They want to feel part of a community and a group, and they haven't, necessarily manage to feel that in real life but it is real life everybody says that but how is that not real play, life it, well i don't believe it is how can i don't it, believe it is what's not real about it so it's not the same as it's not the same i'm not but, saying it's the same but it is real life so i i i value it as in, and I think we've talked about this on one of our podcasts before, um, I value it in so much as I am in touch with people, particularly from school, who I wouldn't necessarily be in touch with. Now, we don't have long, meaningful conversations, but we have a background that means, you know what, if I want to reach out and ask my friend a question, because I remember what kind of person she is, because I knew her for 14 years at school kind of thing, then then I can do that. Um, and and I I do value that. I value that a lot. And probably out of all of the people I'm in touch with, actually, it's my school friends that that I'm very grateful. So really, name the thing that you're saying that you dislike about social media because it doesn't sound like it's the people. What is it that you don't like? And this is where it gets all blended up. No, in muddy. okay, yeah, yep, yep, perfect. So I think the thing that I don't like about it is it's to do with. Uh, probably my self-discipline around my boundaries. So this flips into the other side of things. So Ruth, your wife, saying you're always on social media. If I was sat in my lounge and my husband, and it happens at the moment, um, you know, so if the phone flashes up with a message and he's distracted, but we're in the lounge together having what technically would be a quality experience, um, but yet there's somebody else popping in, then that disrupts it for me. For me, if I've, and we've talked about this a little bit before in terms of the work that we do, you know, if I've put something on social media, it concerns me that I'm not there to respond 
when somebody responds to what I've posted. And I know it doesn't matter if I'm not there immediately, but I will highly likely miss it because I'm not that structured, organized, what have you, that I can follow everything. So then I don't want to, so so there's about boundaries. There's about, actually, I don't invite people off the street into my living room, you know, whenever I fancy or they fancy. I'm very clear about when I am available to hang out with people. And social media kind of transgresses that boundaries if you feel you need to be on it and have to be on it. Yeah, so that it trans- that's what I'm trying yeah, to say it trans- in so- a great way. No, you said it perfectly, and this is it. This is why I say it's real life. So what you are trying to replicate with social media is how you would be in real life. I wouldn't accept this in real life, or in your terms, real in real life. So, you you know, I always say to people you know, who want to do sales and that kind of thing, you know, how you are as a networker or salesperson in real life is how you're going to be online. The kind of person you are in in real life is the same kind of person you're going to be online. You haven't gotten rid of being a human. You haven't gotten rid of being who you are. So if you're a person who has lots of boundaries, you know, you might see that social media is, you know, because of those boundaries, that it encroaches on your boundaries. If you are much more open of a person like I don't have those kind of boundaries so it doesn't bother me but that's how I am in real life too so you know if a stranger wanted to come knock on my door and talk I would talk but what is you know I don't mind I don't have my I don't have those kind of boundaries I'm not that private of a person Mm -hmm. I'm not that different of a person someone said you know you seem you're, you're the same no matter what you do, and you're always you. And I, so I don't, I don't have these different personas in that way. And I just finished taking one of these. I did the um, uh, Lumina test, and they've got this thing about your um, your natural natural self, your hidden self, um, and your sort of stressed self. And most people's circles are in different spaces. Mine are actually <laughs> right on top of each other, except my stress one's a little bit to the right. And they were like, you know, which is odd because I'm the same natural, conscious, and under stress. I'm just who I am. So my, mm-hmm. you know, so when I'm interacting with people, and yeah, you know, I get it. I wouldn't, you know, so there's two parts to me on that one. Um, one is the 21st century, and I got it. If you have these old rules, which is I think a lot of us in our sort of generation still do, um, so we want to impose what we mm-hmm. know um, into this bit. But if you're, you know, for me, you know, you're part like when I'm training, I'm like, get your phones out, um, because it's you know it is the new world. You should, in fact, it's good for me if you're tweeting and saying you know you, you're here or you're doing, and I, it doesn't bother me. Um, because but do it's you just, find that you're the people who are tweeting or who are responding to other things that come in on the phone, how much value do they get from the training? doesn't matter. Not my responsibility. If they want to do that. So now, I remember when I did economics at university and one of the, my professors, very, on the very first day, he taught us about uh, um, opportunity cost. And he was like, you can come to class every day and we're going to have pop quizzes and you won't know when they're there and you'll do well. 
you don't actually have to come to class if you won't, don't want to. I won't report you. I won't do anything. But if you don't come and it's a day that's a quiz, then you're going to miss those things. So then you talk about critical thinking. You have to make, basically, you have to make a judgment. What's the opportunity cost of doing this thing? Um, and so... What, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so, no, so yeah. You've triggered so many things in my head there. Um, so and just in direct response to that what so, happens so i, if I don't university, care if they how don't how many 18 year olds or 19 year olds actually have the capability to make a uh, uh and i'm not sure what the word is whether it's rational or whether it's logical decision for that we did and he left it up to us to do it you gotta t- and this is it do you know do you take responsibility Out for your interest, life what were you studying that was that that was an economics class that one okay. um but so instead of treating us like kids, essentially what he was saying, like little kids, is like you've got to make your own decision. If you decide you don't want to be here, don't be here. But mm-hmm. there's an op- so the lesson was there's an opportunity cost to any decision that you make. You've got to make it. You've got to live with it. I'm not making it for you. You do it. Um, and yeah, we were 18 and 19. You have to make a decision. <laughs> what do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, but I think we try to take that away from people. So in my training classes, absolutely don't care, uh, because you know what, you, you've, your you know your boss asks you what you've done. If you don't want to learn anything, I don't care. It's your responsibility yeah. to learn. Uh, if you don't want to okay. be here, leave, and I won't get offended. I won't care. Uh, you miss out as far as I'm concerned. And the people who want to be in the room are in the room um i was doing a workshop once um and we were doing this and it was a bunch of old people and i'm going to say old people in the room and one of the boundary things they wanted to put up is no tweeting or being on your phone or whatever and i took offense to that obviously because i don't distinguish between real life and that kind of life um so so then we compromise and say okay on break or whatever when we do our um there was a session where we get to record our thinking. If you want to tweet or something during that, you can. Um, and so I did. And partway through the course, I got a tweet back from Birmingham City something um, asking, because they were interested in what I was, this thing that I was just doing, and they wanted to have a meeting. Then all of a sudden, everybody in the room wanted to learn how to tweet then. When they saw that, ah, I could potentially get some business out of this thing, well, and, and in fact, I ended up becoming, and I did a, a little master class on it because I was all of a sudden everyone who were just saying, they could see the well, they was like, ah, oh, I hate it. Oh, I'll do it. It's rude, blah, blah, blah. Then when they seen that, ah, I just got a lead out of it, suddenly they were interested. Suddenly, now I'm no longer a student. They carved out an extra 45 minutes for me to, you know, get people onto Twitter, teach them how to use it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, then they saw the value of it. But you know, before that, it was just rude. So again, I think it's this: it's what do you, who you are as a person, what are you bringing to the thing? How you, you know, don't lump everything into a space. Actually, kind of, and this is maybe back to your critical thinking. Take it all apart. Um, you know, so social media. Well, what the hell is social media? You know, it's a thing. It's a you know, you, yeah. we've always had social media. You had newspapers. You had magazines. You had telephones. You know, we had social media in the past. 
um, is more digital and faster now and the technology is more wide roaming and I can talk to people globally. So that's a good thing. Um, when I forget what it is, when I forget it's a tool, when I forget, you know, how to use the tools effectively, then yes, it can maybe take over your life. It can if you are on it because I need validation yeah. and my whole of my life is falling apart because I'm not getting validation. That's different. But you are probably need validation in real life too. You want people yeah, to yeah. like you, you yeah. want people to do. So, you know, how you are as a person in person, you're the same in line. You have the same values. You, just do the, you act the same, you behave. I mean, it's just there. Um, so I don't see where you can draw a distinction between that. People think that we somehow are something else when we're on social media. Well, no, actually, you know, you're the same. You're, and the people on the other end of that are people. Uh, yeah, so that's my soapbox on that because it just drives me nuts, I think, on on that end. Um, and yeah, and, I, and now I'm with you on the critical thing because I think people just hear stuff and they just take it and they run with it. Absolutely. But then and, and then, of course, as we know in social media, you know, you're, you're fed the same or very similar things that you already believe in, which actually takes you down a route that yeah. you may not wish to be. There's sort of and, bubbles, and I, so I, I, I hear what you're yeah. saying, actually. I, I'm glad you explained really where kind of you were at, because I think there's a lot of people who need to learn that these things are a tool. And there is, and I'm, I, I, I don't know if it's a generational thing, um, although I suspect it possibly is. I think it's probably a generational thing. I think it's probably a character thing. So, yeah, it's know, a lot. Yeah, because I'm going to say my um, my kids are closely in age, um, and one's more into the new, you know, the what you would I think a millennial would be in than the other, um, just because of probably personality and likes or what have you, but just because mm. they are a millennial does it or generation Z doesn't necessarily mean they're tech savvy. Like a lot of companies like to hire millennials as generation Z because they know how to use the platform, yeah, which yeah. again, you know, when people who, you know, you know, there's an argument that you know, people will hire like interns or whatever to run their social media. It was like, you know, would you send a person to network for your company um, out in the real world? and represent you and that person has no experience they don't know your business okay they know how to write a little text and tweet but they don't know how to respond they don't know if they you know they don't have the knowledge to maybe talk about the things that enhances your brand or what your brand is actually about they're just rotely mechanically doing something is all that they're doing um mm -hmm. but because people think okay well that's just i don't you know that's yeah it's this thing over here just go tweet some stuff okay um but i wouldn't do i wouldn't say here just go run this print ad or just go make this tv commercial um to it but yeah um yeah anyway so um yeah i guess bringing this all around full circle and the holiday thing and then maybe the main thing for me on asking a question about holiday is how do you be more of and maybe maybe some people are maybe they're exactly the same you know they don't have to be on every day's a holiday for them um you know because of 
whatever circumstances they might have, they don't have to draw a distinction between being on holiday and being more yeah. relaxed and being more this. So I think that's probably a very few people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's probably many at all. But what I also think is that, you know, as, as we've kind of touched on, you get to a point in life where you want to develop, you want to evolve, you want to, to change. And, and I know not everybody does, um, but people who are interested in the kinds of things that we're interested in, therefore listening to the podcast, I don't think they do want every day to be a holiday day, unless this comes back to actually questioning what do we mean by holiday? Yeah, so so if, if a holiday means waking up every morning thinking, I love life and I'm so excited for what I'm going to do today, um, then, yeah, every day every day can be a holiday day. A holiday day. But I'm not, you know, I, I don't think it's about I want to get up every day and I want to go and lie on the beach. Or at least it's certainly not or It could for me, be for some people. For well, well, I could tell you, so here's what I would do if every day was a holiday for me. And it would essentially just be dialing up by a factor of 20, everything that I already do now. Like read more. Or like today I was thinking, yeah, yeah. if it was yeah. every day was a holiday for me, I wouldn't. I would because I, I was looking at, I was out working out and I would, it was getting close to nine. So if it was, so on holiday time, usually doesn't have an issue for you. But I wouldn't have been thinking, oh, I need to finish by nine because I could do this before I have on the podcast. If I wanted to take two hours or three hours, then I would have taken two hours or three hours. Because it, extensively, it's this. This is my, my conclusion. Um, it's around the whole idea of the money. I got to work to earn some money. So I was thinking about nine o'clock because I could get some things, you know, if you, so if you work for the man, if you're in corporate, then they own all of your time between nine to five and more. Um, They let you take some holiday off, but they mostly own your time. Um, Being a freelancer, uh, self-employed, you got a little more flexibility with your time, but you still have opportunity costs with that. As in, if I, work out for two hours that's maybe an hour that I don't get to do any marketing an hour so there's other things that I've got to so I don't have while I'm flexible with it I don't have control of my time if unlimited resources money-wise i.e. I don't need to work in quotation marks then that ceases to be a function for me personally because that means I could if I wanted today to read for five hours straight I could read for five hours straight guilt-free. Mm-hmm. If I read for five hours straight today, then I'd be thinking, now I haven't done any marketing, I haven't made any calls, I haven't done any of this stuff to get ready for this work thing. Um, but I had a really good time reading this book. Um, mm-hmm. So that, for me, that's where that, that's where that line is. Um, I, my life, would it, that would be the thing that would change for me. Um, yeah. If the whole sort of resource money wise was gone, didn't have to work, I would just do what I do anyway, but not have to think about, damn, I got to stop doing this because I got to do work related stuff as in marketing, this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. And, and if I say I'm kind of, I'm kind of similar. And the work 
work bit for me is things like marketing um, because I don't enjoy that. I, you know, my sweet spot, my skill, my um, interest, my passion is about empowering people. And therefore, it is the having conversations. It is whether, you know, they're formal conversations, such as a coaching conversation, whether it's a, you know, some kind of training and development session that I'm running, you know, whether it's facilitation um, or whether it's just an informal conversation. And I would do that kind of all day, every day, um, in balance with doing that for myself as well. But the, the bit that's work is the, the getting my head around the marketing. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, how do I explain this from the other side of the fence? And then putting it together and then putting it together in a way. And, and I try, I'm saying putting it together. And actually, that's not true because what I do is putting it together sounds like I'm really kind of thinking and trying to contrive it. And I don't. Um, and I have a lot less clients because I don't, because I want to say it in alignment with my beliefs. But the bit that I have to think about is, right, where am I going to publish this? How am I going to do this? How do I connect with people? And that is tedious for me. Whereas... Have you read you know, the book, of, The E-Myth? Michael yeah, Gerber's, yeah. yeah. But that's, that, was his, that was his point. Like we... Exactly. You got the entrepreneur, the business owner, and the whatever, those three things. And partly we go out to because we love the thing that we're doing, so we set up shop, but we forget that if I'm doing that, there's the stuff you didn't see. Things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The stuff you didn't see when you were an employee, you're now responsible for doing. Um, exactly. And that those so, things probably are more important than the turning of the tool if you're trying to build a business. Absolutely uh, they yeah. are. Absolutely and I find that a lot are. of coaches get into that you know, the space and they go to the coaching school and they get certified and you know, there may be one module on marketing. But the coaching bit is the easy bit. It's exactly, how because yeah. that's the natural talent. Well, that's the natural talent. It's the easy bit. It's a bit you enjoy. But actually, you know, you have to actually be more of a business person and the coaching is just a, a thing. Um, if you're trying to build a, you know, a successful sort of business. Um, Absolutely. And I suppose so the, the sweet spot is, is trying to marry those up, as in you're doing the marketing because you want to have more opportunities to coach and do things and you want to have a successful business. So it's like with any sort of goal-related thing, when you tie the two up, the whiff them, what's in it for me? What's in it for me to market? Well, if I market, then people know that I'm here. If people know that I'm here, then I can help them. If they don't know that I'm here, then I can't help them. Yeah, uh, that was still, it still is now. Yeah. It's, it's still not enough of a draw for me to find it an enjoyable process. Um, interesting. Anyway, and, and the other thing is, it what it is making me do is kind of look back on my corporate life. And I have done this periodically over the, the years. So, you know, the 10 years that I spent in corporate before becoming self-employed, you can, you can get on with the job. You can get on with the bits you're good at. And, and I value that. I value being able to do things that I love. Obviously, well, it wasn't 
available was necessarily the flexibility. Um, and because obviously of my circumstances mm. and how they changed, I needed the flexibility, which is is partly why I became self-employed. It's it's not the, the whole story, but um, but there has, you know, there is this awareness that if I was to be employed, I would lose my flexibility, which at this point with my boys is, you know, is far too important for me to lose. But I would be able to do things that really play to my skills, play to my strengths. And then instead of feeling that I am stretched in, you know, kind of a zillion directions, um, I could just enjoy focusing and evolving and seeing where I get to. Yeah. Which I, I think is what a lot of people, you know, do feel, particularly at around our age. You know, we are at a stage where we do start to reflect and wonder. The thing about, about the sort of happening. corporate side, though, is that you, it, it shows itself in a different way, isn't it? So you'd have, mm. you would, you know, on the on paper, you'd be able to do that. But then if you think, remember back to when you were employed, so it isn't nine to five. It's I got to get up at seven because I've got to get in the community. So you're talking 12, 14 hour days. Then you get home. If you've got a family, they're going to want some time. Um, and then it's time to go back to bed. So when you start talking about, you know, when do I, when will, then you're, you know, you've got, you know, and if you want to work out and if you want to eat, you you know, have that many hours left to actually yeah. do the kind of thing that you want to do, which then people maybe save it up for the weekend. But then, you know, again, if, if you're single, maybe different, but you know, if you've got a family, then it's the weekend. And then suddenly, you know, there's a lot more demands on your time. Um, so you still don't necessarily get to do the thing that you do because someone else is eating. Corporate's not eating it up. Someone else is eating up your time. So it's a Whereas, tough one to balance. I work with lots and lots of people who work is their identity, yeah. which is yeah, kind yeah, of exactly. Them, yeah, that's, and that's that's the process that I take people yeah. through is to understand that work is not your identity but when when you're doing what you love you don't mind working 12 to 14 hour days i was going to say that's the other thing that's the whole big thing for me was you know do what you know as the saying do what you love love what you do you'll never work another day in your life kind of thing mm. and you know the work in your play are one and the same is what i've always kind of tried to get that sort of blend um it's yeah so it's a it's a tough one um on that end in terms of you know, you get into the game to have more time, but, you know, do you? So, again, holiday. You know, like, you know, I only was joking that you've taken, you know, your two-day, you know, your two holidays already haven't taken any. It's like, I don't really care. Because, like, Ruth, are you taking any holiday? Because the thing that I do is what I, you know, that is my holiday, I guess. Um, It's like, you know, take a break from the thing you like doing. Uh, but I like doing it, so why can't I keep doing it? So, I, you know, so I don't actually really care to take the holiday because there's nothing that oh so if i took a holiday i'd be doing the same thing on holiday that i'm doing off would holiday. you still deliver work so would you still deliver training sessions for example if i could do it from clients? my hipping computer yeah why not you know it's not like i gotta do yeah. all day i wouldn't want to do a whole day but if like today i've got something from two to four so what so i would still do that delivery from two to four Interesting. um yeah i mean so and that's why so for me if i was on if I, every day was a holiday i would be doing more of the things that i would want to do but i could do it if i wanted to read for 10 hours straight there wouldn't be an opportunity cost to doing that i could do it so if i read for 10 hours straight today 
I've got to give up something else because I am, you know, doing the business and all this other stuff. So there's other things that factor into that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's that that kinda is what changes for me on that end. So I think it sounds to me, if I listen to or I think back to, to what we've covered in the last hours, that actually it's about consciously creating your life. Yeah. And, you know, within that, you may have periods of time that you call a holiday. Um, you might simply have a weekend. It, it kind of doesn't matter. It's more about being conscious. It's more about deciding how you want to spend your time, why you want to do that, um, and and just crafting that out for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, the reason why I love technology is because it allows me to, so if I wanted to travel, yeah. I could just take my laptop with me and be in another country and do stuff, and or I could just do it from my phone. Um, yeah, which is and I, yeah. yeah that, I think that's a really key point. Actually, is understanding mm. that technology, social media, uh, anything like that, can be a tool, and it's a tool. So use it as a tool. You know, you wouldn't use a hammer on your hand um, just because the hammer was there. Mm. Actually. You've got to have a purpose. So this comes back to actually being responsible. So it, and that was always the promise of technology, isn't it? The promise Sorry, of I that. Okay, that was always the promise of technology, as in the history of technology, is that it's meant to make our lives easier as human beings, so that we have more time to do the things that humans are good at. Um, the problem is we become slaves to our technology, um, and you know we end up feeding the machine as opposed to making the machine kind of work for us. Yeah. And so technology makes your life easier. It's when meant you to don't be. become a slave to yeah. it. I like that. And if you think about there was a 24 hour society. Um and the problem with technology, the darker side is corporations now give you your phone and you have a corporate phone and it has email. And then if I send an email to you at 10 o'clock at night, you know, there's Absolutely. some companies that expect you to respond because, you know, you've got a company phone, you got the email, how come you haven't responded yet? Um, so when you talk about boundaries, the boundaries then get eroded. You know, I think you're well, going to exactly. have a problem with remote working is going to may become a problem. Um, and that might be worth anybody out there that's entrepreneurially mind it and looking for um a business idea to think about helping people with this transition with remote working because the problem you're going to have now is i'm working from home and i'm living from home and it's all you know this room the only thing that's going to separate it from work you know some imaginary thing called time mm -hmm. but it's the same it's the same room i'm on the same computer that i'm going to use to you know play my games on and watch some Netflix, it's all the same. The same space, the same tools, um, you know, and how do you, you know, turn it off or get, you know, yeah, how do you, how are you going to be able to unplug if you're always plugged into it both for work and for pleasure? Which I guess is yeah. why some people do digital detoxes and go off yeah. in the world and yeah. no phones. And but I think it's it's finding that balance. And speaking of which, as I am in the most wonderful position that I can live every day, as I choose to, mostly, um, my father-in-law has come over to do some 
airfix modeling with the kids and my husband and I are going to join them for lunch uh, in 10 minutes. Oh, awesome. So, cool. <laughs> living what we're discussing, I'm going to say, let's call it a day. All right. <laughs> Sounds good.